Hi, I'm your host, Thomas, data scientist, data engineer, and you're listening Let's Talk AI. On this podcast, we receive experts to talk about their experience, visions, challenges, with no fear to go into technical details. If you're looking to learn more about AI and related subjects, you're at the right place, so make yourself comfortable and enjoy. If you like this episode, please give us a review on your favorite streaming platform, such as Spotify or Apple Podcast. You can also find more content on my LinkedIn newsletter. Welcome everyone, we're in Let's Talk AI and we're with Pablo Sanchez Navarro um, and uh, we're going to talk a bit today about different things, but uh, can you introduce yourself, Pablo, and who you are in a few sentences? Hi, well, thank you very much for having today with, with in, the book, in the podcast with you. Uh, I am a telecommunication engineer and then I specialize myself in data science and advanced analytics. Uh, then I had some experience in uh, time series analysis, especially in the in the business area. I'm really passionate about uh, solving problems in a practical way, not just uh, in the theory. And currently, I am in my third year of the PhD, and I'm I am presenting in half year from now. Great, thanks. Uh, thanks for uh, this introduction. Um, so I would have a question for you, um, mm -hmm. just to maybe introduce the matter of artificial intelligence. Um, what have been your first contact with AI? Uh, the first contact with AI uh, was in the Biotechnological uh, National Center. Uh, it was in a summer in the summer in an internship. And they proposed me to apply super resolution to uh, biological microscopy. Uh, basically, the idea is to increase the resolution of, of a picture. And uh, this is what Photoshop has uh, in, in some of the filters and can be done in, a, in, a, in our computers. Uh, but the important thing there is that it was a neural network, the one increasing the, the resolution. And it was my first attempt to to deal with the artificial intelligence. Uh, well, I'd like to say that we have a, a really good uh, neural network, but we had no output at all. But it was my first step in the research world, which uh, it's important, uh, especially for my PhD now. And also I learned a lot how to uh, deal with, uh, with the lack of information, which I think it's a, a really big barrier in, in this field, in the artificial intelligence and general in data analytics. And this is why uh, I was really excited when you proposed me to come here to the podcast, uh, because I think this really makes a difference. It's, this breaks a barrier and, and can help a lot of people. Well, I'm very happy to hear that. And yes, yeah, this is a, this is one of the big ideas of the podcast is to is to break down some PhD work or business cases or how it is in reality and talk with experts like you that dedicates years of their life towards uh, a few a, a few specific parts of uh, the AI uh, big entity. Uh, all right, thanks. So. Um, So what was the first time you contacted uh, uh, with the company's world and how did you use time series on your first job? Uh, the, the first time I applied artificial intelligence was uh, in my master's thesis. 
I was working with Devo. Devo is a company that uh, receives real-time data, processes okay. and create value uh, by creating dashboards for uh, managing companies or for managing some process in the company. And then having all that data uh, for being processed is a really good opportunity to apply artificial intelligence and especially mm -hmm. in time series analysis. Uh, this was a sequence of events and for making some prediction of the events. Uh, uh, I remember we developed a framework uh, for, for, the, for the app that they have that uh, automatically creates and trains neural networks uh, based on the event that they are, they are happening in the, in the sequence of events. Um, but it was a bit different. Uh, up to that moment, uh, in, uh, it was used uh, LST, LTSMs, uh, but uh, we decided to attack the problem in a different uh, way. It was based in the attention is all you need paper that the, the Google guys had at that time. And uh, also it's really important how to how you show the information to the to the final user. It's not, mm -hmm. not only getting the prediction, uh, our output for the prediction was the probability of happening of a given event. Yes. Uh, but how you pro how you show the information. In our case we have in the the y axis uh, all the possible events and in the x axis it was time. So we assign a probability with circles the area of the circle uh, assigned uh, was describing the probability, and then we keep track of uh, the pro the probability and the event that really happened. Why? Because okay. in in time series we have uh, two dimensions for the error. We have uh, the the event error. You can make a mistake on the event that it's going to happen, but yes. also you can make a mistake in the time yes. if you are predicting one event. And then one uh, random event just go in the middle. It doesn't mean that you failed. It's, you didn't fail. Your prediction was correct. You just went uh, one sample in the in the time. So this okay. is uh, really important uh, to to focus on those two dimensionality because it really affects it in a different way. Okay. In that um, in that case, we were using TensorFlow. Uh, we tried to use Keras, but there were a limitation at that moment. Okay. Uh, because there were a model training, I, at the same time, uh, it was making prediction. And with Keras, you had to train, you have to save it, and then you have to load it for using it. Uh, but this way, uh, we, you have uh, the same model. It was connected. So TensorFlow, okay. which is the base of Keras, allowed to do that. Okay, okay. Just before you said that this proposal uh, was an alternative to uh, the classic neural networks uh, used for LTSM, can you remind uh, what was LTSM? Yeah, these are the uh, long-term uh, memory cells that uh, basically are uh, feedback. Uh, they are neuronal cells with uh, the output uh, with feedback output, uh, so that it uh, you you keep giving the events and it has the memory that the events that go have gone through that. In yes. the case of attention. Uh, you just give the sequence of events that have happened. They have no, uh, they have no memory, but they mm -hmm. they are more powerful. Okay, great, thanks. And uh, okay, so you said that at the at this period, Keras was limited because you needed to 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 save first uh, the, the models that have been developed before before being able to using it. So you used TensorFlow, correct? <laughs> yeah, that's correct. 
Okay, okay, and uh, and so you said that the two dimensions uh, that was uh, that was uh, that were needed to take into account was first of all well the pro the probability of the of the of the models that have been trained and second the input of time that comes in because if an an, an unexpected input comes and creates a prediction, then it unbalances things, correct? Or would I yeah. need to redefine yeah. it? That's, that's correct. And I think that uh, this is the most difficult part of time series. Mm. Uh, get an accurate uh, prediction. Typically, you want a prediction, uh, sometimes of an event, sometimes of a value, but you want to be accurate in time. Because mm. otherwise, well, if you are uh, making a prediction about uh, when a piece is going to grow, Yes. Uh, you need to give uh, a mar uh, be somehow accurate and when it's going to break otherwise it has no value at all uh, yes. we all know that something is going to break at some point so this is really important okay cool thanks um all right um and uh so maybe you can share a little bit of the challenges that you faced uh, and how did you solve them uh working on this mm -hmm. um yeah, during my years working, I think the biggest challenge that I've faced have been taking so, advantage. Yep. Just, just one question: Are we going, uh, like, are you going to share more challenges regarding your overall career or on this time series, for example? I think this is all. Well, this is for the time series, but this has across all the career. Okay, so, uh, because before, yeah. so after you worked uh, with um, Devo, if I'm correct, so mm -hmm. you've been working at Airbus, and now you're doing your um, your PhD, correct? Uh, yeah, first I was with Devo, then I went to Airbus, and now I'm doing the PhD that we are making some collaboration with the University of Oxford. Awesome. Okay, great. Okay, can you share the challenges uh, that you faced? Yeah. Yeah, I think that the biggest challenge was the uh, multiprocessing capability in uh, in Python. Uh, originally, Python was designed for be single uh, processor, and then all this artificial intelligence and data science and multiprocessing uh, will appear. And I remember wasting a lot of time the first time I used the multiprocessing package in Python, uh, because even it was multiprocessing, the things occur in parallel but uh, not literally in time uh, what it was uh, multiplexing the different threads of the of the system uh, but the the reality is that you didn't save time because you were blocking one task to execute the other one uh, so yeah then they uh, i managed to do so they they allowed to use different processors but and nowadays we we are using dask but I, I think this is a really powerful uh, library because it allows you to swap from uh, programming uh, and debugging uh, to the uh, to, to launching the, the process in, in a real cluster just by swapping uh, one or two lines of code. I think this is really powerful. You just create a cluster, you create mm -hmm. a task cluster, you mm -hmm. only interact with the task cluster, but internally how, the, uh, how you have the workers and the masters of that, uh, this is absolutely transparent for for you. So you can connect it to Amazon, you can connect it to Azure, Google Cloud, Kubernetes, and even if you want to make some lock and test, you can turn on another machine. You just give the IP address, and it create a cluster between that machine and your machine. And I think this is 
really powerful just by swapping two lines of code. And mm. this uh, changed completely the, the paradigm and, and removes a lot of barriers. Uh, when you, for example, when you were using multiprocessing in Python, and then you want to go to uh, to production, you need to make a lot of changes because the the infrastructure in in, in when you are developing is not it's absolutely not the same the same when you are in production, and this uh, helps a lot and and saves time to the to the production team. Awesome, thanks thanks a lot for for this uh, for this tool and uh, and the visibility on on how to uh, do multiprocessing uh, with Python. As we understood uh, that uh, it's complicated, but with this tool, uh, we are able to to manage and to do it well on production as the production, um, the production setup is not always uh, the same as the one we're testing with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, it, saves a, it saves a lot of time. Uh, you may need a, a final step if you are going to a big product uh, mm -hmm. in, a, in a big company because that if the artificial intelligence is your product, but uh, it's not until the last step when you need to do changes. Uh, then you, you have uh, the same tool all over the, the pipeline of, of production. All right, perfect. And so you said before that you worked at Airbus. Uh, so what was your job at Airbus and in what did it consist? Uh, I was working in a part in ATA 49 department, which is the APU, the auxiliary power unit. This is a specific part in the tail cone of the, of the plane. And my work was uh, basically developing algorithm to detect whether a company is uh, degrading and therefore you need to act for, for maintenance the piece or or just replace it uh, and the idea is to prevent failures even uh, the plane has a lot of redundancy and uh, absolutely it's a, a really safe place uh, when you need to apply maintenance um, you you may not be in the in the place where the mechanic are uh, so you want to organize your routes uh, so that uh, or at least detect that this piece is maybe become faulty so that you can act and the idea is that aircraft is not on ground so that the company is not wasting money. And this is the, the value that we are adding by applying uh, analytics. Uh, again, we were using temporal series and, and well, with the complexity of time, uh, the two dimensionalities that we were talking before. Hmm. All right, great, thanks. And could you share, maybe it's confidential, but could you share the tools that you used uh, while working at Airbus? Maybe it's the main one. Uh, yeah, um, uh, well, some of the tools are confidential, so I, I cannot share them, but of course. Uh, for the for creating the algorithms, we were using Python. We were using PySpark as well because of the tons of data that we were uh, dealing with, and also yes. Jupyter for for interacting with Python in, in an easy way and then creating Jupyter notebooks for internal uh, internal information and documentation of, of the algorithms. Okay, because I understand that developing models for Airbus is uh, a huge amount of data, so I'm sure it's fascinating how the architecture is. Can you develop about some models used and how you develop fine-tune them maybe? Mm -hmm. I cannot go in, in a further detail, but uh, 
after the the main uh, the the main challenge here uh, was the the time frame that we were talking before. If you anticipate so much the the replacement of a piece, you are creating a, a big damage and and then you are continually updating the 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 aircraft pieces. Uh, so mm -hmm. you are you are saving money in not having the aircraft on ground, but then you are uh, wasting money in the maintenance. And otherwise, if you don't anticipate enough, uh, you have no value at all because this is what you already have. The the plane is a really uh, safe place, and then even you fail, uh, the good thing is that you you always have a redundancy. I mean, this is on top of safety of the plane. This, this is not to replace the safety. This is just to prevent uh, delays when you are waiting and then they need to change one aircraft for other or preventing that the aircraft is not in the in the maintenance center and then you need to take there uh, and all this is, is money. But uh, I think that the most important thing is not to lose the horizon in the, in the, of the business. Uh, because you need to adapt the model you are using to to your to your use of case. I mm -hmm. mean, in 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 aviation, you cannot use the a neuronal network that you cannot predict what the output is, or or you shouldn't because you are in a really controlled space, and then uh, well, you can try to use it, but they are not going to accept it for for. Uh, logic reasons. Uh, the safety is the is the first thing in in this world. Yes. So uh, you need to f to focus on this horizon because you your tools might be limited the, the for depending on the business you are. Yes, I understand. Um, so now I would like to ask you about your PhD. So a lot of the time I've heard that um, when people do. Um, research at the beginning and, and then they tend to go to, to consulting. Uh, I mean, I've heard different point of views, but why did you decide to do a PhD? Uh, well, the first the first thing uh, I was offered uh, to do a PhD and I think uh, this is something that either you do when when you are young or if you are going into uh, important, uh, important roles in the company, you are you are not going to go through this because you have uh, another uh, priorities. Uh, and also, uh, I like the idea of the PhD because especially in data analyst, it has been a lot of a smoke about uh, people telling about artificial intelligence and so on. And that, I think the PhD makes the difference for uh, even a stability to this AI or give some proof of knowledge, uh, not just uh, that it it's uh, what the what the business might want to hear. Mm -hmm. So I think that's that's the that's why I went for the PhD. Awesome, thanks. And can you explain a little bit more what is your thesis about? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we are developing an optimization library. And uh, combining with surrogate models, uh, which is basically artificial intelligent model uh, replacing uh, the, the problem, and so that we can boost the optimization. Uh, an optimization, an optimizer is a tool that allows you to uh, go uh, given a problem uh, the, the optimum value. 
if you have the the problem definition, the best thing you can do is uh, take the the mathematical uh, definition and the derivative function and go to the real maximum or minimum value. Um, but sometimes that's not the case. Uh, if you are going uh, through complex problem uh, such as uh, material simulation, building simulation, uh, for, for example, aircraft simulations, uh, then you have a lot of effects added into a simulator. And, and if you want to uh, have a parameter optimized, you usually can give the, uh, can go in the function. Given some parameters, then you have an output. But the thing is that you want to have a given output, and then you don't know the parameters. So the, so the optimizer can help you to find those parameters by playing with the original value. And here it emerges the, the field of metaheuristic uh, that it does not warranty the optimum, but it can really help. But it has some limitation. Basically, is uh, it explores the space and then it, it jumps from one place to other. But this by design implies a sequence of simulation. And imagine you are using a simulator that it takes one hour, it takes uh, five minutes, 15 minutes in execute, uh, then uh, the new proposal is not available until you have the result of the previous one, which mm -hmm. this, this implies that you have a time a time limitation. And here is where surrogate uh, model applies. A surrogate model is uh, a, a replacement of the, of the problem by an approximation uh, in, in machine learning. Uh, so that uh, the the execution is almost instantaneous, and then uh, you can give the the next proposal instead of in fifteen minutes, you can give it in in one second, and that really boosts the the performance. So in our case, the surrogate is acting as a filter, and uh, if the sample is not worthy, then don't waste time simulating it. Just skip it and make a new proposal. And well, uh, our our article uh, proves that this really improves, and uh, we make a, a bigger improvement, which is the pairwise surrogate model. Uh, we we told before that the surrogate model uh, were acting somehow as a filter. Mm -hmm. So in the end, you don't need to define exactly the function. You just need to model the decision of whether you are going to simulate or not. It if you are going to simulate something. It doesn't matter that you go to the exact value because you are going to simulate it and you are going to get the value. Uh, and if you are going to skip something, uh, it doesn't matter that you are accurate. Uh, accurate. Uh, you just skip the value and, and this is the important point. But for example, you need to focus on where you change from simulating to not simulating. Uh, and then you are attacking the problem as a classifier instead of a, uh, the, surf, the surface classic problem that you approach to, to, to an error surface. And this is the point that I am uh, right now in the thesis. And the next step and the final step we, will be to uh, find some auto-adaptive parameter to this surrogate so that you don't need to choose a single technique uh, for, for uh, creating a, a, a twin of the problem. Uh, you can just launch all of them and then the the library chooses the best alternative or the best combination of alternative to that fits the purpose. And the purpose is not we're not fitting the full problem, but just making those decisions whether to to filter or not the the proposal that the 
the optimization library, uh, well, the optimizer uh, has made. Okay, great. And so I understand that uh, this auto-adaptive uh, surrogate model um, is really, so once you've used it to, to find where you need to do the simulations, then it reduces all the possible simulations to a few ones that you will run, but it, uh, it saves you a lot of time. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, it depends uh, on your case. Surrogate is not always the solution. It only applies when uh, you are, let's say, for example, between uh, five minutes and uh, one, an hour or two hour simulation. Mm. If you are going to 10 hour simulation or a day simulation, then surrogate is not your your thing because okay. you still have some sequence uh, by, desi uh, by design. So. You still need you just you need the result of the previous simulation to create your model, okay. so you cannot bypass completely the that that sequence limitation. Uh, but then it saves you a lot of time. Okay, thanks. Uh, and what are the challenges? So I would like to ask you a bit more about the tools, but before uh, I want to know what are the challenges today that you are facing and and how your your thesis and the work you're doing in collaboration with Oxford, um, how is it adding value? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that the main challenge today is to build a product for from this library. Uh, once we have the the theory and is accepted by the scientific community, mm -hmm. now we need to create a product and we need to uh, get some finance. Get some finance for for um, for developing uh, the, this product and create some value. And to do so, we are doing some collaborations, uh, some of them with the University of Oxford. Uh, we are doing all, others with uh, some uh, architecture studios. And let me give you some example of those. Uh, we are uh, creating some uh, generative metamaterial design. And in this case, um, the the mechanical engineering department has a simulation of how a structure works. Uh, we connect it uh, with the optimizer uh, so that we want to achieve a behavior of a structure. So the, this way, the optimizer can design the structure that matches the behavior that you are that you want uh, the structure to have. Uh, another case, well, this can be applied, for example, for um, uh, weighing optimization or the uh, shunt optimization that I will introduce now. Uh, in the in the weighing optimization, uh, we have the we want to optimize the 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 shape of a wing of of a plane. Uh, so we let the optimizer choose the shape that uh, that matches our response that we are defining uh, given some some purposes. And uh, the other collaboration that we are doing with the, with uh, the University of Oxford is a shunt optimization, uh, which is uh, basically redesign uh, a shunt for that it's used in, in, in medicine when the child has uh, some liquid in the brain and you want to drain it. It has some risk. It can create some pains. So we want to optimize the the way that the fluid is extracted uh, without the the shunt being blocked by the, some part of the brains um, 
So uh, again, the, the optimizer is uh, choosing the best structure that matches this behavior. Uh, in a diff totally different field, uh, we are working with the, uh, some architecture studios for uh, energy efficiency so that the optimizer is choosing the materials and the um, and the sequence of materials in the in the in the walls uh, mm -hmm. so that it's uh, energy it's energy clean so that it maximizes the the time that the building is in comfort zone without using any energy okay. uh, the the difficult things about this is that it's a quite abstract value you mm -hmm. can add the optimizer to a wide variety of uh, of, of areas, but uh, you always need the expert knowledge to be implemented in into the simulators. Otherwise, optimizer by itself is nothing. So it's something that I think it's cross uh, cross area. Okay, okay, great. Thanks, thanks a lot also for all this application. And I think that uh, this is a problem that we face a lot. It is uh, we we're getting to a point where we have very very great technology, but um, sometimes there is a barrier in how to apply it uh, for for a lot of things. And without the experts, um, it's quite it might be quite hard. And thanks uh, thanks for like sharing, for example, the wing optimization, um, like defining objects, um, optimization of uh, materials involved to be eco-friendly, or also, for example, uh, in the medical field where you talk about the shunt optimization. Um, great. Can you can you share maybe a little bit uh, what language and tools do you use uh, developing this library? Yeah. Uh... We are using mainly Python for developing the the library. Uh, then uh, in Python we are using Scikit-Learn to build the, the different models, and uh, we are using Dask as well to to move in from the uh, the the developing uh, the, the, from developing to to production or maybe not production to to the full simulation because if the simulation mm -hmm. takes a lot of time you cannot run it in in your local computer. Mm -hmm. um, we are using as well as Lurm. We are uh, working with the uh, with the Polytechnic University of Madrid uh, that they have uh, the the CESBIMO, which is a high performance computing center, and mm -hmm. um, um, uh, we uh, we connect Dask with Slurm. So that it enters into the queue and wait uh, all the processes to be run at the same time, and that really, really makes a difference uh, when doing all these experiments. Otherwise, it would be impossible. And right. another thing I'd recommend uh, is the uh, dependency inversion. This, well, this is just uh, uh, something I prefer because it keeps the the different. Uh, modules uh, simple so you okay. want a module to do something uh, you don't need to uh, in, you, you make them only to interact with other modules but you don't have part of the modules spread across the code so that it works uh, okay. more or less those are the tools that we are using right now uh, those are simply tools um, but I think uh, that dependency inversion it 
it really helps for for everything to work in a in a simple way and and also to distribute the the work uh, across the team so that you define specifically specifically the modules and then you interconnect them okay uh, great um so i think uh yes maybe to close a bit uh, this uh, the the thesis part and then i would like to ask you some maybe personal questions we um, we're running a, a bit short in time but uh, but um but I would like to take the time to answer these few questions with you. What models and metrics do you consider using so far regarding the library you're developing? Or uh, maybe more in general, as you prefer. Mm-hmm. What kind of I models and metrics? It really depends on on the business problem. Uh, for mm-hmm. example, we were talking about uh, Airbus. I have some friends uh, working in, in Sara. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been also doing research. Mm-hmm. It depends. For research, uh, you can use neuronal network and you can use all that cutting edge technology. Mm-hmm. For example, in Airbus, uh, you you need two to, to different features that it's explicability and predictability. You don't mm-hmm. want a model uh, to to be random at some point so that you cannot uh, guarantee the behavior. Uh, so it really depends on the case. Uh, but it doesn't mean that it it does not work. It's 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 just that you can explain the model and that you can rely on the model in a different way. Maybe it's more linear or maybe it's uh, less complex, but it works as long as it adds value. And I okay. think this is the key point here. Mm-hmm. And I cannot uh, choose a model or a metric. I think it really depends on, on your on your use of case. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, so understand your business needs, understand the problem they want to solve, and then find out the best metric. Um, how does a normal day look like for you? Well, I get up, uh, I go to the office, or if I'm not going to the office, I try to go for a walk and then start working, uh, just to clean your mind and be ready for work. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you will be just from one room to another, uh, turn on the computer and you will move just 30 meters uh, in total during the day. Mm. Uh, so I try to to uh, walk and, and clean uh, my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, after I start working, I have a meeting with uh, with a team. Then I have some meeting with the client. The, sometimes not, but most of the time, yes. Uh, and then uh, I... I I use work for I, I use time for my PhD, and and then I go back uh, home. I do some exercise, uh, some household tasks, uh, but then just relax. And, okay, and be ready for the next day. So uh, I have uh, three last questions for you. Maybe we can try to to answer them. Uh, uh, um, one or two minutes each. So how do you keep learning and be curious uh, as uh, doing research? I understand that you would have a good point of view on that one. I think uh, you need to find your way. Uh, I mean, in my case, I really like solving practical uh, practical problems and uh, I I see the problems as a, as a challenge. And I think you, you need to, to find the way it uh, it passionates you. If you don't like it, you are not going to to reach a, a good a good point because you are going to get tired. You are going to 
justify uh, to, to, to find any just justification to to skip that task or to go to another thing mm -hmm. you need to find the way that you like the, that problem or maybe you need to find the problem that you like but always that you like and you are willing to to do that mm -hmm. all right awesome do you have a book maybe to recommend uh well i'd say uh well i have my or maybe something that you publish maybe you, you're publishing something uh, yeah uh, i have my my thesis will be published and then i have uh i will share you the the link uh for for the article that we've uh, that we've used um uh, Otherwise, just uh, I think we really learn about the experts of the different problems, and then mm -hmm. you need to adapt the AI. So, what I'd recommend is to really learn uh, about the areas that you where you are applying the the AI. It's not okay. just about uh, the model itself; it's how the model copes with the with the problem and the data. And, okay. and then you may be able to create some fusion model of different things, but you understand how this work and, and this has a reason. So yes. I'd say that the, the best thing is to listen to the people who is doing the work now and in the field that you are working on. Okay, great, thanks. Um, and can you share about, uh, maybe you would have a message regarding young people that start into artificial intelligence or a message more in general. Uh, do you want to share something? I think uh, we need to be passionate about our our work and and then we need to focus on a lot of areas and we need to be uh, we need to somehow detach our mind sometimes of those problems because you need to be expert in lot of on in lot of things and then uh, you have the risk of take that personal. Uh, for example, I remember when I was working uh, with with Airbus on all the Airbus in the planes. Uh, that's what is happening. But then you are, you can you start to overthink and and you don't want to make that personal. Uh, this is this is not going to fail. But you are working with errors, so just try to be realistic and try to have everything in mind. Uh, not to uh, bias the information because you need to be focused on some parts and your brain is going to be biased and just try to uh, avoid all the work uh, affect your personal life and because uh, data analysts we need to really focus until the, the very small details if we want our model to succeed so i think that that goes beyond the the the, the work itself awesome well thanks a lot pablo for coming on the podcast it has been a pleasure having you and thanks a lot for sharing all those details i'm really looking forward to see your thesis coming out so thanks a lot and have a wonderful day same thank you very much for you to to inviting me congrats you've made it to the end i hope you had a great time and that you learned a few things to learn more about AI, you can subscribe to my newsletter or check the blog. And to support the podcast, you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also share it with two friends, colleagues or family members that might be interested. I wish you to have a wonderful day. Bye.